today. Lord, we do thank you for, again, giving us an opportunity to be your hands and your feet and to see how you're going to work all this out. Lord, we know that we have uh, apprehension about it because we don't know how it's all going to turn out, but we know that you already know. And so it's exciting to see how you're going to work all this out for our good and for your glory. And it is an honor and a privilege of ours to be uh, a part of it all by, by giving unto you that which you have given unto us. And so we pray that we will not be in lack. We pray that we will not go backward. We pray for every church that is called by your name who has this fear. May their, their fear be uh, subsided as your peace comes in. As you uh, speak to all of us, let us know you have this in the palm of your hands. So we pray, God, as we look to you, as we trust in you, that you will bless us and bless this gift that we present to you at this time. May you increase it, multiply it, that there may be food in your house and we may have all that we need to do all you've called us to do. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we uh, get ready for this particular uh, new uh, season, uh, and this new norm, uh, again, we're going to be looking to uh, get some equipment, all that we need to have a nice quality uh, production, both audio, uh, audi audibly and, and visually, uh, with uh, prayer, with praise and worship. We're still going to have the praise team come up, and we're going to worship and praise God as if this house was full. Uh, you know I'm going to preach the same way. I've done it before. <laughs> there have been times when... Uh, we have messed up the recording or we didn't get a message recorded. And I thought it was so good that message needs to go out. So I came back Sunday afternoon and I preached that exact same message like the house was full and there was nobody here. <laughs> but you couldn't tell that. <laughs> so I will do the exact same thing. You know me, I'm going to preach uh, as hard as I can, whether there's five here or 500 here. I'm going to give God what is due to him. So we're going to try to translate that. Uh, visually, virtually, uh, through social media, so that you at home will be able to get that as well. So just pray for us that we will work out all the bugs and all the kinks, and we will be able to have everything we need to go live uh, starting this Sunday. Okay, This Sunday, of course, we're also going to be continuing our series on the sealed revealed, uh, the book of Daniel and end time prophecy or the end of days. Uh, now that we've told you what the Antichrist and his cabinet is going to do now that they've come into power, which is bring peace on earth, uh, there will be peace for some, but persecution for others. Okay, And that's what we're going to be talking about this Sunday. There's going to be peace for some, but there's also going to be persecution for others. And we're going to talk about that this Sunday. So hopefully we'll be online and you'll be able to catch that either on Facebook or YouTube, but we'll get the word out there and let you know. Uh, we're also having to um, adjust our Easter egg hunt because CCISD is, is closed. Of course, they won't allow us to do anything there on their facility. So we thought about a couple of ideas that we're going to try and implement, one being a, a drive-by Easter egg hunt <laughs> where we can just announce that we're going to be giving away Easter baskets or Easter eggs. And as the people come up, we can give them, bless them with that, and also give them some information of how they can be a part of our Easter service still. So we still need your help. We need your donation, your time to come out to fill these eggs for us. 
and uh, obviously, of course, your prayer as well, that we may be able to get the word out beyond the four walls of the church. Amen. Well, those are all the announcements. Um, I had an entire uh, speech I was going to try and give to the uh, online audience. So even though we're not live today, let me just practice it on y'all <laughs> so that <laughs> so we can be ready uh, for this Sunday. But uh, we were going to thank everybody for attending, obviously, and those online as well. And uh, even though we are having to do it in this way, we are certainly grateful that we are able to give the world what we believe the world needs the most at this time. And that is the word of God. Okay? I was reminded of, you know, those movies you see where somebody's on death row and they're in the electric chair. And, and what they're saying is they're being strapped in. Is there a word from the governor? Okay? <laughs> is there a word from the governor? Has the governor called to give me a word of pardon? And I believe at, out of all the things that are going on right now, you may seem or it may seem like we're on death row. Okay, A lot of people out there <laughs> thinking that, you know, this is it. This is the end. We're on death row right now. And they may be uh, wanting as well, not even knowing in their own heart saying the same thing. Is there a word from the Lord? Is there a word from God? Is God speaking at this time? Does God have something to say to us at this time of our darkest hour? You know, I believe one some of the uh, most somber times of all the Bible is in between the pages of Malachi and Matthew. <laughs> because in between the pages of Malachi and Matthew, you have over 400 years of silence. 400 years where God stopped speaking. There were no prophets. There was no priests. There was no word given. 400 years where God stopped talking. God stopped speaking to his people. And I believe that's probably one of the most sombering uh, moments of all the Bible because there are times when we desperately need the word of God. We need to hear from heaven. We need to know and, and, and understand that God hears us from heaven. And so we are grateful that God began to speak again in Matthew when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He continues to speak through his word and by his spirit even today. And so we are grateful whether we can give you the word of God personally or virtually. We're grateful that we are still able to do that at this time. You know, I always said that uh, church started in the home and as things begin to progress, church will end up in the home, okay? I didn't think this would be the way it would happen, <laughs> but nonetheless, here we are. Hopefully it won't last. We'll be able to gather again and assemble again. So for those of y'all who do not know, this midweek service we call the underground. And the segment of this particular ministry, we refer to it as what in the word. And both of those things take on a whole new meaning now. Because I believe, like others, we feel that we've been forced underground. We've been forced out of our uh, schools and out of our venues, but now even out of our churches, where we're not even able to assemble and meet uh, any longer. And I was sharing this with a couple of people. I don't know about you guys, but this is therapeutic for me. Uh, I need this. I, it does me well to plan and to prepare uh, sermons and messages and be able to deliver that. And so I don't know what I would do if I couldn't any longer do that. <laughs> uh, so at least I get to still do that to a camera and, to, and uh, through social media. But to others, this is, is therapeutic for you as well. For you to be able to come to the house of Lord and come to the altar of God and, and to be with the people of God 
this too is therapeutic. And so it is something we are uh, going to have to get used to and adjust our lives according to. But we pray that it will not last and we'll be able to, to meet once again. But the reason why this takes on a whole new meaning is because, again, I think we're being forced underground at this time, which is a bad thing in one way, but a good thing. It is forcing us to get our equipment ready uh, where we can produce quality sermons online and through social media so that a lot more people can receive what God is doing in this place. So God, this is one of the ways God can take a bad situation (laughs) and work it out for our good and for his glory. So we thank God for that as well. But it also takes on a whole new meaning, what in the word, because, again, that's what a lot of people may be wondering right now. Is there a word from heaven to let us know what in the world is going on right now? (laughs) What in the world is going on? I can't think of a time, at least not in my lifetime, when one single isolated event affected the whole world, okay? (laughs) Now, we've had wars and pestilence and famines and, and, and disease and things like that uh, throughout uh, the history of mankind, but they've always been isolated and pocketed in different parts of the world. But this, it is affecting everybody everywhere. And so at this time, there may be some people wondering, is there a word from heaven to let us know what in the world is going on? What in the world is actually happening? Well, we started a, a brand new series a few weeks ago called Minds of the Mind. Minds of the Mind. And it speaks to the spiritual warfare that we are engaged in at this time uh, where our mind has become a battlefield. And there is a battle not only in our mind, there is a battle for our mind. And it is a word, I believe, that is needed now more than ever in light of what we are going through. Our text for this particular series is Proverbs 23.7. In Proverbs 23.7, it simply says this, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a woman thinks in her heart, so is he. God tells us whatever you think in your heart, whatever is in your heart or in your soul, So are you. Why is that? Well, because whatever we think is going to dictate how we feel. And however we feel is going to dictate what we do. (laughs) And whatever we do is going to dictate who we become. And who we become is going to dictate whose will will be done. And so there is a battle not only in your mind, there's a battle for your mind because both God and Satan want to control your mind so that each respectively would have their will to be done. So God tells us to put on the mind of Christ. God tells us to set our mind on the things above. God tells us to use the weapons of our warfare, which is geared toward the mind. God says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus for that reason. So that we may think the way he wants us to think, that we may feel the way he wants us to feel. We may do what he wants us to do. We may become what he wants us to become. And we may have his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But for that very same reason, (laughs) since Satan wants his will to be done, he attacks the mind. 
He wants to control the mind. Sister Nyden was sharing with me just the, the atmosphere of fear that is permeating throughout our land. You go to stores and go to different places and you just sense this fear, this anxiety, this uh, uh, just heaviness that is on people right now. Because if Satan is able to get you to think a certain way, he can get you to feel a certain way. <laughs> and then he may get you to do a certain thing, begin to hoard all things for yourself, not considering anybody else, so that his will may be done. And so he wants your mind just as much as God wants your mind. He wants to control your mind just as much as God controls your mind. And so what he has done is he has put minds in the mind. He has put these minds in the mind, and we listed a few of them uh, two weeks ago and last week, and we'll give them to you again just to see if we hit any of y'all today. <laughs> but these are some of the minds that he will place in our mind. Worry, doubt, fear, failing, lust, greed, loneliness, hopelessness, sadness, depression, despair, anger, desperation, anxiety, discouragement, pride, envy, guilt, shame, regret, just to name a few. These he will embed in the corners of our mind, hoping that we will come by and trigger them. <laughs> hoping that we will come by and cause an explosion. And for many, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> that is exactly what takes place. We trip over the minds of the mind that the enemy has left there. So what this series is all about is simply mining the minds of your mind. <laughs> Uh, extracting the minds of your mind or at least learning how to navigate through the battlefield of your mind so that you won't set these things off. So, so far, we've talked about the mind of worry. Tonight, we talk about the mind of doubt. Okay, The mind of doubt, as in doubting the existence of God or even the goodness of God, especially in times like these. The mind of doubting either the existence of God or the goodness of God, especially in times like these. You know, we've all seen that uh, poem either on greeting cards or posters, but the, the uh, footprints in the sand poem, right? We all know that. When the guy goes to heaven, he looks back on his life, he sees two sets of footprints in the sand. God says, well, one set of footprints is yours, but the other set of footprints are mine. And he says, well, you know, why do I only see one set there during the hard times, the difficult times of my life? And God simply says, well, because I was with you during the easy times, but I carried you during the hard times. Those set of footprints are mine. And we hear that and we read that and we're giving that particular poem because it is to comfort us, it is to inspire us, it is to give us hope and letting us know that God is with us. That is the hope that we want to have, that God is with us, that his word is already declared. He will never leave us nor forsake us. But the age old question is usually asked during times like this. And that age old question is, God, where are you? 
God, where are you? God, don't you see what's happening to our world? Don't you see what we are going through right now? Don't you care? God, where are you? If you promise to be with us, if you promise to never leave us nor never forsake us, then God, my question is, where are you? Where are you? Now, this is different from worry. Doubt is different from worry. Because worry is the belief in what might happen. Fear is what now, now that it has happened. (laughs) That is the difference between these two. Worry is you believing in what might happen. Doubt, doubt in God and doubt in God's goodness is now what, now that it has happened. Okay? Or God, how could you let this happen? Or what do you do when your worry comes true? That is how this is different from worry, this thing called doubt. And doubt and fear go hand in hand. Doubt and fear go hand in hand. Doubting that God is here will eventually lead to your fear. All right? Doubting that God is here will eventually lead to your fear. Why is that? Well, because there's only so much that you can do. (laughs) There's only so much that I can do. You know, all the money in the world won't take care of this for you if you happen to get sick, if you happen to catch cancer or whatever else. And so there's only so much in your power. There's only so much that you can do. There's only so much of resources that you have at your disposal. So if it's up to me in order to be, I'm in trouble. (laughs) If I'm dependent upon me to get through this and and to get over this and to get beyond this and have the victory over this, if I'm dependent on me, then I'm in trouble then. So when you begin to doubt God, when you begin to doubt the existence of God, or when you begin to doubt the goodness of God, that doubt will eventually lead to fear because there's only so much you can do. You will feel helpless. You will feel hopeless. And therefore, fear would set in. So doubt is one of those minds of the mind that the enemy uses. Doubt is one of those minds of the minds that the enemy will use because he knows if I can get you to doubt, I can get you to fear. And if I can get you to fear, I can get you to fail. Because fear will ultimately lead to failure. And when I say failure, I mean the inability to continue. (laughs) When you are fearful, when you are afraid, it will eventually lead to your failure or inability to continue because you won't be able to continue to do what you know to do. Now, we've all heard the the phrase being petrified with fear. Petrified with fear is like those goats. Y'all see those goats where they come around a corner and somebody scares them and they just stiffen up and fall over. (laughs) It's the funniest thing. (laughs) But they are petrified with fear to where now they can't move. 
I remember this happened to me one time when I was growing up. I was probably eight or nine years old. I had an older brother who used to uh, take pleasure and joy in uh, making my life miserable. <laughs> well, he decided one, one evening, it was late, dark outside. We shared a room. I was sitting on the bed. He takes a ski mask, <laughs> goes around the house, goes to our bedroom window, and he beats on the window and yells real hard. And, and I just look at him, and I'm just staring at him. I'm not screaming. I'm not moving. I don't get up. I'm just looking at him. And he thinks he hadn't scared me. (laughs) That wasn't it. No, he had scared me so bad. (laughs) I couldn't do anything. (laughs) I couldn't yell. I couldn't scream. I couldn't jump up and run. I was just there shaking. And he thought, oh, man, that didn't work. No, it worked. (laughs) I was petrified with fear. And Satan knows this. The enemy knows this. If I can get you to doubt God, if I can get you to doubt the existence of God, if I can get you to doubt the goodness of God, then that doubt will eventually lead to your fear, and that fear will eventually lead to your failure. So doubt is another mind of the mind. So tonight I want to mine the mind of doubt, and I'm entitling this particular one, Walking Without Doubt. Part three of our series, Mind of the Minds, Walking Without Doubt. If you have a Bible, go to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at one particular chapter today, uh, but we're going to look through the whole chapter. 2 Peter chapter 3, because I believe it bears um, um, some good knowledge and information that we really need at this time of what we're faced with. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle or letter, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Okay? What is pure? Pure means absolute, complete, okay? without any foreign substance in it. And right now, the minds of the people in the world, but even the minds of Christians and believers, it's being polluted or diluted with other things, with worry, with doubt, and with fear, and what's going to happen next, and is it going to get me, and am I going to have enough, and all kinds of things. Your mind right now isn't pure. So uh, Peter here says, I need to remind you of some things for the purity of your mind. And he says here that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. I need to remind you of God's word during times like this. And the first thing that he wants to remind us of is this. He says, knowing this first. That scoffers will come in the last days. You need to know, you need to be reminded, you need to understand that scoffers are going to come in the last days. Walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Translation, there are going to be people in the last days saying, where is God? Or, where is your God? 
Where is this God you've been talking about? Where is this God you've been preaching about? Where is this God you've been praying to? Where is this God you've been believing? All these things that are happening in our world today, what we want to know is, where is this God of yours? In the last days, there are going to be many scoffers who are going to be asking that question. Not asking because they want to know the answer. <laughs> asking as an as a indictment against the believer. As a charge against the Christian. Where is this God of yours that you've been talking about? Now when we need him the most. They're going to say, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing has changed. Man have been the same. We've been doing the same thing. Nothing has changed. And so where is God? especially when we need him the most. You may hear this. You may see this. You may read this on social media and posts back and forth from different people who have their opinions about what's going on in our world today. They will say, if God is real, if God is good, if God is powerful, then where is he? If God exists, if God is as good as you claim that he is and as powerful as you claim him to be, then where is he? Why doesn't he do something about this? Why doesn't he do something about this problem, about this situation that, that we're in? Does he, doesn't he know that people are dying? Does he know that it is wrecking havoc on our economy and people are losing their jobs and all kinds of things are happening? Does he know this is happening? Why doesn't he show up and do something about this? It's either one of the above things. Either he's incompetent, which means he doesn't know how to be God. Because if I were God, I certainly wouldn't allow all this to happen. <laughs> I mean, if I were God, I would step in. If I were God, I would stop this. If I were God, I would do something about this. So if he is real, either he's incompetent, he doesn't know how to be God, or he's incapable <laughs> of doing anything about it. He doesn't have the power to be God, or he's inconsiderate. He simply doesn't care to be God. One of these things has to be the conclusion. If God is real and if God has all the power and if God can step in and do it, but he doesn't do it, either he's incompetent, he's inconsiderate, or he's incapable. Which one is it? I mean, after all, what kind of God would send a disease that destroys many? And even if he doesn't send it, He most definitely could stop it. So it goes back to the age old question. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? It is the age old question people have been asking since the beginning of time. And when we hear that and when we read that and when we see all that is going on in the world, the tendency is we may begin to wonder the same. The doubt may begin to creep into our own hearts and our own minds. And we may be saying, yeah, that's that's a really good point. (laughs) This has been a strategy of Satan's from the very beginning. 
<laughs> this has been a strategy of Satan's from, from the very beginning, this mind called doubt. It shows up in the garden. <laughs> it shows up with Eve when he goes to Eve and he tries to get Eve to doubt God. He tries to get Eve to doubt the word of God, to doubt the goodness of God. He says, did God really say? <laughs> Are you sure about that, Eve? Did God really say? Let me go ahead and just plant this doubt in your mind. <laughs> did God really say that? He gets her to doubt the word of God, but then he gets her to doubt the goodness of God. Oh, you won't surely die, Eve, like God says. He just knows the day you eat of this tree, you will become like him. You will be a God yourself, knowing good from evil, and you won't need him anymore. And so he's just trying to keep that from you. So not only does he get Eve to question the word of God, he gets Eve to question the goodness of God. <laughs> God has been holding back from you. God has been holding all this goodness from you. So if you do this, you can have everything that God has been keeping from you. He got her to doubt God. And then he got her to do what he wanted him, her to do. He does this with Jesus. When he goes and he tempts Jesus for 40 days in the wilderness, what does he say? If you are who you say you are. <laughs> If you are the son of God, <laughs> turn these stones into bread. Let me plant this mind called doubt in your mind. If God really is for you, throw yourself off this temple. <laughs> he tries to plant this doubt in the heart and the mind of those he is attacking. So he did it with Eve. He did it with Jesus. So most definitely, you know, he's going to do it with us. <laughs> He is going to do it with us. He is going to try to plant the mind of doubt in our mind to question God or to doubt God, his existence, his power, or even his love and goodness toward us. And he does that with that question. If God is so good, why so much bad? And if he can get us to doubt, then he can get us to do <laughs> If he can get us to doubt, he can get us to do what he wants us to do. So God responds to this question from the scoffers. In the next verse, in verse 5, God is going to respond to the scoffers. He says this, for this they, the scoffers, willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished. Right? He says they are willfully forgetting what happened the last time I showed up. Okay? <laughs> the world perished, being flooded with water, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Translation, God is saying, do you really want me to show up? <laughs> do you really want me to answer that question, where am I? Do you really want me to come and right every wrong of the world? Do you really want that? Because if I do, I just may start with you. 
<laughs> you you want to know where am I and why am I allowing bad and why am I allowing evil and why don't I step in and right every wrong? Because if I do, I just might start with you. That's why. So do you really want me to show up? <laughs> do you really want to know where I am? Do you not remember the last time I showed up to right the wrong, to bring justice to this world? What happened? You know, it is interesting how we want God to bring justice to everything and everybody but us. (laughs) We want God to bring justice to, to, to everything and everybody else. But when it comes to us, no, we don't want God to be just. (laughs) We don't want God to right the wrong that happens in us and with us. (laughs) No. Where is God? Well, the day is coming when he's going to answer where he is. And many won't like it when he does. And so he waits. So let me give you a few reasons of why, quote unquote, bad things happen to quote unquote good people. And we've gone through this throughout our ministry a few times, but I believe it bears repeating because Satan is not an original, okay? The same old tricks, okay? (laughs) So we're going to hear this a time or two throughout our time on this earth. But let me give you a few reasons of why, quote unquote, bad things happen to, quote unquote, good people. When we say, God, why do bad things happen to good people? Number one, God's response is this. What good people are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, What what good people are you referring to? Please show show me the good people you're, you're talking about. You know, point them out to me (laughs) and I'll gladly answer that question. You find me a good person, then I'll answer your question. (laughs) Why? Because the Bible says there is none who are good. (laughs) There are none who are good. There are none who are righteous. No, not even one, the Bible says. Why? For all have sinned. Every single one of us have sinned and fall short of God's standard, fall short of God's glory. Therefore, every single one of us are deserving of death, hell, and the grave. There is no one who is good. This question is flawed from the jump. It is flawed from the get-go because there is no one that is good according to God's standard. Only God is good. So that would be God's first response to that question. (laughs) But I think a fair question would be this. Okay, I know there are no good people because we've all sinned. We're not perfect. That's God's standard. I know there's no good people. So let me ask it in another way then. Why do bad things happen to God's people? (laughs) There are no good people, but there are certainly God's people. So I can see why God will inflict this disease and this pain and this suffering on on the worst of the worst and those who don't know him and all the criminals and all the people who do all these bad things. But these things happen to Christians. These things happen to believers. So why do bad things happen to God's people? Well, just like God allows the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. He does allow the rain to fall on the righteous and the wicked alike. He does. Christians 
suffer in this life as well. Okay? And some will even argue maybe even more so <laughs> because we are Christians and because the enemy is after us. So if God doesn't cause things like the coronavirus, if God doesn't cause these things, the question is, why does he allow it? And that of his own people, his own children. Well, I believe God's response to that would be this. Number one, it is only bad from our perspective. <laughs> okay? <laughs> what you call bad, God doesn't necessarily call bad. Right? Just ask Joseph. Isn't that what Joseph told his brothers? His brothers sold him into slavery. He was then a slave in Potiphar's house. He was then lied upon and falsely accused. He was then sold or uh, uh, brought into the prison where he uh, spent years there waiting to get out for a crime he didn't commit. And then finally he gets out and he's promoted to the uh, second in command of all of Egypt. And when his brothers finally realize all that, they're scared to death that he is going to take vengeance upon them. And he says, fellas, relax, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> I'm not taking revenge on you guys. Why? He says, because what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You look at my life and you look at my circumstances, and you look at all my situation and you say, poor Joseph. <laughs> oh, I feel sorry for Joseph. I feel bad for Joseph because all these bad things happen. Not from God's perspective. <laughs> What you call bad, God calls, I am working this thing out. I'm weaving all this together for your good. And because all of this happened, Joseph was able to save not only Egypt, but all of Israel, his people as well. So it is only good from where you're standing. <laughs> but if you can take the vantage point from God... <laughs> If you can come up and see the end from the beginning like God can, you wouldn't call bad what you're calling bad now. So it is only bad from our perspective. Look, just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not so. Okay? You never know what God is up to. Never. You will never figure God out. The only thing we know about God is what he allows us to know about him. Okay? And he hadn't told us everything. The Bible says uh, in, in the Gospels, uh, if everything that even Jesus said and did were written down, there wouldn't be enough room on this earth to contain the books for that. So God, even in his word, hadn't given us everything that he has and everything that he is. You don't know enough about God to question God. You don't know enough about God to think you can figure God out and know what he's up to. You don't know what God is up to. So what God calls bad, or what we call bad, God doesn't necessarily call bad. And that's why Job said this, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. <laughs> I may not like what's going on. I may not like what's happening right now. I may not understand it, but I trust that God does. I trust that God is up to something. And though I am going through this heartache and this suffering that I'm going through, God, I want you to know I still trust you. <laughs> I still trust you. I believe that you are working all of this out for our good and for your glory. Therefore, I trust you. So there are no good people. And what we call bad, God may not necessarily call bad. 
But number three, you need to know and understand this is not the world God made. (laughs) This is not the world God made. We live in a fallen world now. And the reason why we call it a fallen world is because we are now where we weren't originally. That's what a fall means. We're now where we were not originally. The world that God created, the heavens and the earth God created, after he created certain parts and aspects to it, what would he always say about it? It is good. And it is good. He created the firmament of heaven. He created the waters and separated the waters from the land and uh, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the the beasts. And every time he created something, he said, and it was good. This world is not the world God created. This is the fallen world from what God created. This is the result of the sin that was brought in by man. Man brought sin into self as well as into this world. And therefore, we live in fallen bodies that get sick and die. We live with fallen people who are just as imperfect and sinful as we are. And we live in a fallen world where these things will happen. That's why Jesus told us, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Now, isn't that nice to know? People who like to say, well, man wrote the Bible, you would think they would have left that part out if man wrote the Bible, right? (laughs) If man wrote the Bible, that would have been a scripture they would have left out. If they wanted to just control people and promise people these things. But no, God tells you the good, the bad, and the ugly. He said, I'm not going to hold back from you. I'm not going to hold back any punches. I'm going to let you know right now, in this life, in this world, you will have trouble. You live in fallen bodies with fallen people in a fallen world. You will have trials and tribulation. This is going to happen to you. Make no mistake about it. See, trouble doesn't disprove God. And that's what the world would have you believe. That because of this trouble, because of the coronavirus, because of the suffering, because of the hunger, because of the strife, because of the pain, because of the heartache, because of all this thing, there must not be a God. (laughs) Trouble does not disprove God. Because even if you remove God, guess what? You still got the trouble. (laughs) What have you solved? (laughs) Just by snapping your fingers and saying there is no God. You still got trouble. You still got the coronavirus. You still got hunger. You still got wars. You still got strife. You still got all these things. So just by removing God doesn't take care of the problems that you're faced with. So trouble does not disprove the existence of God. Trouble actually proves our need for him. That's what trouble does. Trouble proves our need for him. That's why he told us, I am telling you this so that in me you may have what? Peace. I am telling you these things right now that in this life, in this world, you are going to have trouble. And I'm telling you this so that in me, although you have the trouble, the trouble won't have you. (laughs) You will have peace in the midst of your storm. 
Peace in the midst of your trial. Peace in the midst of your trouble if you are in me. So trouble doesn't disprove God. Trouble just simply proves that you need God. You need him for this life that you're in. It's just like the lifeboats on the Titanic, right? (laughs) The lifeboats weren't there so it wouldn't sink. (laughs) The lifeboats were there because they knew it could sink, which it did. (laughs) It is the same way with God. Trouble doesn't disprove God. It only proves that we need God, which is why God hasn't come back yet. If you go back to our text in verse 8, of Second Peter. In verse 8, God says this to the scoffers, to the doubters. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Time is of no essence to me. God is not moved by clocks and calendars. He's not moved by watches. He's, he's moved by the purposes of his will. So he says, to you, it may seem like a long time. To you, it may seem like I'm taking forever, but a day is but a thousand years, and a thousand years is but a day to me. Watch what he says in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some doubters count slackness. But he is what? Long-suffering toward us. He is patient with us. He is putting up with us. Why? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How would you have liked it if God came back the day before you got saved? (laughs) The day before you repented. The day before you got things right with him. How would you have liked that if God did that to you? If God was willing to wait for you to get things right and for you to repent and for you to give your life to him, then why can't he wait for others to do the same? God is patient. God is long-suffering. God has been putting up with us and he continues to put up with us because many aren't ready for him. Many are not ready for him to show up. Many are not ready for him to come back. And so what God does is he allows adversity so that they would be. God at times, he doesn't cause these things, but he gets out of the way and he allows these things. He takes his hands off these things and he allows these things because he is up to something. And God will allow adversity in our lives so that we would be ready for him because he knows at times with certain people, that's the only way he can get your attention. That is the only way he can get your attention, by disrupting your life, (laughs) by causing you to sit down somewhere, by removing the distractions from your life, by bringing to, to the forefront of your heart and mind something that is beyond your control. He knows that is the only way he can get your attention. And he loves you enough to allow it. He loves us enough to allow adversity and pain and sorrow in our lives if he knows it's going to wake us up and get get our attention that we may be saved because he doesn't will for any to perish but all come to repentance. So God knows how to get our attention. (laughs) 
God knows how to use adversity to show us the vulnerability of our own mortality. (laughs) God knows how to use adversity to show the vulnerability of our own mortality. You wouldn't be thinking about death without coronavirus. (laughs) You wouldn't be thinking about death unless you got that phone call from the doctor. You wouldn't be thinking about death if not that loved one just died. God knows how to get our attention. He knows how to wake us up to the reality of our mortality. Everybody is subject to this thing, if you have noticed. It is worldwide. Black, white, young, old, rich, poor, common, celebrity, American, European, everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. So God is simply saying, do I have your attention now? (laughs) Do do I have your attention now? Okay, Because nobody can escape this. Nobody is immune from this. (laughs) God is simply saying, do I have your attention now? And it's not just the unbelievers, not just the scoffers, not just the doubters, not just the naysayers, but even his own people. Look, this is a heart check for us as well. This is a heart check for us as well. God is shaking things up for our sake as well. Notice what he says in verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, What manner of persons ought you to be? How should you be living your life? How should you be pursuing the things that you are pursuing if you know that the day is coming when all of this is going to melt away? (laughs) What manner of person ought you to be? What manner of person ought I to be in holy conduct and in godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will dissolve, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In other words, God knows how to shake things up to shake us up. God says, I'm going to shake things up. And if you shake with it, it could be because you are too connected to it. (laughs) When God begins to shake what can be shaken, as the Bible says in Hebrews 12, when he begins to shake what can be shaken, if you shake with it, (laughs) it could be because you are too connected to it. No, we are to be anchored to the unshakable Anchored to the rock that is higher than us. Anchored to the kingdom that cannot be shaken, the Bible says. And when we are connected and anchored to the kingdom that cannot be shaken, come what may, (laughs) let God shake things up. (laughs) But it shouldn't shake me up. (laughs) Shouldn't affect me. Why? Because I am not connected to this. This is not my home. And we forget as Christians, we forget as believers that this is not our home. 
We are pilgrims passing through. We are not to get used to this. We're not to get comfortable with this. And God knows how to shake things up and allow adversity to get our attention as well. Isn't that what he did for his people, the Israelites in Egypt? They spent 430 years in Egypt. That was 423 years longer than they should have been there. (laughs) Because the famine that took them there only lasted seven years. (laughs) But they got used to Egypt. They got comfortable with Egypt. They began to act just like the Egyptians. And therefore God says, I'm going to have to shake things up. I'm going to have to allow adversity. I'm going to have to allow a Pharaoh to come to power, to rise, who doesn't know you nor me, and they're going to inflict you and enslave you until you cry out to me. God says, do I have your attention now? (laughs) Stop being so connected to this world that you shake with the world when God shakes things up. Or the way he puts it in his word, do not love this world, nor the things of it. Because we know all this is being taken away. All of this is going to burn up. All of this is going (laughs) bye-bye. And we are looking for new heavens and a new earth. You know, the world who will scoff and say, where is this God of yours? It's, It's interesting because we'll ignore God, but then want to blame God when these things happen. You ever notice that? (laughs) The world out there, they don't know God, don't want to know God. They will ignore God. They will suppress God. But then when things like this happen, they want to blame God. (laughs) Or at least they want to say God must not be real. Because after all, these things are happening. I use this analogy a lot, but I'll, I'll give it to you again. Do you know that there are thousands of car accidents in this country every single day. Every single day, there are thousands of car accidents on the roads of of this nation here. Now, one might conclude then, man, I guess we don't have any traffic laws or we don't have any traffic devices or we don't have anything to govern the way that we drive because, after all, if we had something to govern the way we drive, we wouldn't have any car accidents, right? Well, we know that's not true. We know we have signs and speed limits and uh, uh, lights and cops and all kinds of things that's supposed to govern the way we drive to prevent accidents. That's not the problem, (laughs) The problem isn't that those things don't exist. The problem is we ignore them. The problem is we ignore what exists that is supposed to keep us safe. And it is the same way with God. Just because you have problems and just because you have sorrow isn't a a proof that God doesn't exist. It's just a proof that we are ignoring him. (laughs) We We are not yielding to him. We are too busy wanting to do our own thing. I'm late for work, so I know the speed limit is 60, but I need to go 70 because I need to get to work. I know I shouldn't be texting and driving, but I need to respond back to them right away before I forget it. (laughs) It's not that the laws don't exist. It's not that the devices are not there to keep us safe. It's that we ignore them. We don't yield to them because we want to do our own thing. 
And it is the same way with God. It is not that God is not real. It is that we won't yield. We won't yield to God because we want to do our own thing. But then we want to blame God when we see the results thereof. So he says this in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is what? Salvation. Please stop and just consider for a moment that the long-suffering of our Lord, the reason why he hasn't shown up, the reason why he hasn't stepped in, the reason why he is putting up with all this is because it will bring about salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. In other words, God's delay gives opportunity for salvation because it gives opportunity to get our attention. Y'all ever go to that water park in uh, San Antonio, uh, Fiesta, Texas? There's a water park there. I'm not sure if they still have it, but they had a a big cowboy hat. (laughs) Up in the top of this tower, all the kids are playing. There's this great big cowboy hat. And above the cowboy hat, they have this water pipe. And the cowboy hat is being filled with water. (laughs) And ever so often, whenever the cowboy hat is full, what will it do? It will tip over (laughs) and all of this water will come gushing down. And all the kids there are waiting on it. Now, that's fun, right? Now, that is fun to do, but God's saying, my cup of wrath is being filled up right now. My cup of wrath is filling up. (laughs) And the day is going to come where it is going to be full and it is going to be poured out. And unlike Fiesta, Texas, it won't be fun. (laughs) That's not one you want to get under, okay? (laughs) God's cup of wrath is being filled up right now and the day is going to come when it's going to reach its capacity and that cup is going to tilt over God's wrath is going to be poured out on this world and so while this may seem like it's God's absence it's actually God's presence It's actually God's grace. It's actually God's mercy because it's a way that he's going to use to get people's attention so they don't have to experience his wrath. That is what God is doing. So the long suffering or the patience of God is for salvation. Now, everybody won't get this. Everybody won't understand this. That's why this is not for everybody. This is for the Christian. This is for the saint. This is for the child, the son, the daughter of God. So in verse 16, he says, as also in in his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. The world is not going to get this. The world is not going to understand this, at least not the ones who don't want to get it. That's why God says those who have an ear to hear, let them hear. Not everybody has an ear to hear this. And so what will they do? They says, These things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. 
You know, again, it's interesting. You have people who don't know the Bible, but they want to teach you the Bible. (laughs) They don't know the Bible. They don't know God, but they'll get on social media and they'll try and teach you the Bible. They'll try and teach you about God. And they will simply twist scriptures to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures, God says. And sadly and unfortunately, there are too many of us who will entertain that. You say, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Oh, yeah, you you do have a point. We'll entertain that. (laughs) Look, I don't know everything, nor do I claim that I do know everything, but neither do they. (laughs) They don't know everything either. And wouldn't you have to be a God to know there is no God? Wouldn't you have to be a God? Wouldn't you have to be omniscient, knowing everything there is to know? Wouldn't you have to be omnipresent in all places at all times? What if God is hanging out in Mars? How how would you know? (laughs) And even if you could somehow manage to get to Mars, what if he left Mars and went to Venus while you were going? Wouldn't you have to be everywhere at all times to know that? And wouldn't you have to be omnipotent to have the power to do all of that? You would have to be a God to know there is no God. (laughs) So how can we entertain this and allow people, because of our circumstance and situations, talk us out of what we know? So finally, he gives us this warning. We'll close with this in a few thoughts. He gives us this warning. In verse 17, he says this, you, therefore, you Christian, you believer, you child of God, you beloved, Since you know this beforehand, beware. Beware. This is a caution sign. This is a warning that God is giving to his people. I'm telling you this right now so that you may beware. Why? Lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. Lest you let this faith of yours go. Lest you say, you know, you're absolutely right. How could a good God do this and allow this? He says, beware. Lest you too fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But no, rather grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Listen, don't let anybody talk you out of what you know. I don't care what proof they present to you. I don't care what argument they have. Don't let anybody talk you out of what you know. Don't let anybody allow doubt to take up residency in your heart. Just like we talked about worry not sitting on the throne of our heart, don't let doubt sit there. Don't entertain doubt. Don't Allow it to to take over your your, your mind and you meditate on it and you ponder it. Now, I'm not saying you can't have questions. God is not telling you to check your brain at the door. No, ask your questions. But don't allow doubt to creep in and to take you away from the truth that you know. In your heart of, of hearts, in spite of everything that is happening going on, you know God is real. You know God is good. He is not incompetent. He is not incapable. He is not inconsiderate. What he is, is he is in control. He's in control. (laughs) 
He is in control of all this. And that's why the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why won't you fear evil? For I know you are with me. (laughs) I know you're with me. (laughs) So I am going to walk (laughs) without doubt. Can you say amen? Give the Lord a hand for his word today, if you will, please.